You know, sometimes in life, a person can be having a problem. Maybe they're just going through a very difficult time. Many times, they can't help it. They didn't do anything to bring the problem on themselves. Sometimes, though, maybe they did. It's kind of something that's the consequence of maybe some bad decision or choice that they have made. And, and sometimes, if you're a friend of that person's, you look at their life, and you want to say, here's the problem. Here's what's wrong. And uh, if you'll make this change, it might make it better. And yet, I think all of us are very hesitant to do something like that. And anytime we do, we want to make sure we're led of the Lord and doing that in the right spirit. But sometimes, what a person needs more than anything else, in fact, this would always be true, they just need someone to speak the truth to them. Certainly to do it in a spirit of love, but just to speak the truth. And yet, sometimes, if we're honest, we just don't want the truth. We would just rather live in ignorance than to have the truth. I read about a man who had been traveling by himself in the Middle East, and he was leaving Israel on a particular day, and he called his wife back in the United States, and they were talking, and his wife said to him, I hate to tell you this, but our cat has died, just like that. And it just devastated the man, and he said, oh, I can't believe that. He said, this just breaks my heart. We've had that cat 12 years, and, and, and he said to his wife, I just wish you would not have told me so straight on like that. You know, I just wish you, you could have softened that. And she said, well, how would I have softened that? She said, he said, well, what you could have done, you could have said, since I'm now in Israel, you could have said, honey, I just want you to know the cat is on the roof. And then when I've caught my next flight in Frankfurt, Germany, I would have called you from there. You could have said the cat is acting strange on the roof. You could have just softened it. And then when I called you from Newark, you could have said the cat has fallen off the roof and I had to take the cat to the vet. And then when I called you from Atlanta, you could say it's not looking good for the cat. You could have just kind of climatized me into this. And then when I got home, you could have said, sadly, the cat died. And it, the cat, I would still be sad, but I would have had the preparation. And she said, I'm so sorry. Next time, I'll try to do it that way. And so they talked on. And a few minutes later, he said to his wife, he said, by the way, how's my mom? There was a long pause. And she said, she's on the roof. <laughs> and I read that, and I thought, that's how it is sometime with us. We would rather somebody just not tell us straight on what it is that we need than uh, to just tell us as it is. Well, if you'll open your Bibles tonight to Philippians chapter number 2. I, this, I had an interesting experience last night. Before I went to bed, I knew that I was going to be preaching out of this passage tonight, these scripture verses. And so I said to myself, before I go to bed, I'm going to read the passage. I'm not going to study it, outline it, look at any commentaries. I'm just going to read the verses and see what God might say to me. And so I did that last night. And as I did, I saw something that I have never seen in all my life reading this passage of Scripture. In fact, I'm 100% convinced that had I not read this last night, that tonight I would be handling this passage of Scripture in a completely different way. But before we get into that, let's begin. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through the end of the chapter. I want us just to look at these verses. Let me read them to you. You follow along. And let's see what you get out of this just with the reading of the Scripture. Paul is writing, and he says this, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state or your condition. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. 
But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should sorrow, uh, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now, what did you get out of that? Well, not sure what you might have gotten, what verse might have spoken to you, what thought might have jumped off the page there. I have read in my life through the book of Philippians, I don't know how many times, a a countless number of times. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. But last night when I read those verses, I I thought in a way that I had never thought when I was reading those verses. And here's what I noticed. Look back in verse 19. And if you're a Bible underliner, I want you to underline a word. In fact, it's in the New King James, it's the second word. Paul said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. Just underline, or at least in your mind, mark that word, I. And then read on. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, that's the second word you might want to mark right there, Timothy. So, so far, we have Paul and we have Timothy. That's who this passage is about. And then in verse 25, a third character emerges. But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. That would be the third name to mark. And so last night, I'm reading this, and I thought, we have verses here about Paul, about Timothy, and about Epaphroditus. And each of these men is functioning in a different way. Paul was Timothy's mentor. Timothy was mentored by Paul. And Epaphroditus was Paul's partner in the ministry. And so that said, if you look at the title of our Bible study tonight, it simply says this, having a mentor, being a mentor, and finding a partner in ministry. At the beginning tonight, when I told that silly little joke, I was making the point that sometimes in life, what we need when we're going through a hard time is for somebody who loves us, who knows us, who cares about us to come alongside, not always to chastise us or scold us. Maybe we haven't done anything wrong, but to encourage us, to help us. If we have done something wrong, to confront us about that so that we can repent and be made right. And so in your outline tonight, the first point I want to make and the first thing I want you to consider tonight is simply this. Everyone needs a Paul. Everyone needs a mentor. You need somebody in your life who can be your Paul, who can be your mentor, who can be your counselor, who can be your role model, who can be your person that you go to and talk to. Everyone needs a Paul. Now, you see in in the outline tonight, I've just made some observations about the Apostle Paul. 
and some observations about the type of mentor that we all need. First of all, that person needs to be a mature believer with a humble spirit. You wouldn't want a mentor, even if they're a a, a believer, and they certainly need to be a mature believer, but you want somebody with a humble spirit. You don't want a mentor. I have been blessed in my life to have many, many mentors. Some of you here tonight, I put in that category because I look at you as, as my mentor. I've known some of you for so long, and, and you say, well, how am I your mentor? I'm not a pastor or a preacher. Well, you're not necessarily my mentor in that way, but you're my mentor showing me how to live life, how to go through challenges. Some of the, we had our widow's banquet last Thursday night. It was wonderful. And as I looked around that room, I, you know, I'm very much aware that many of the widows in our church are some of my, some of my mentors and many of their husbands who've gone to be with the Lord. Other men still live. They, they, they are my mentors. They're mature believers, but the people who've had the greatest impact on me have been those who have a humble spirit. In other words, they don't have all the answers because I would not be attracted to a person like that. Why? Because that's not how I am. I'm not a dominant personality. Now, I know sometimes when I'm preaching, you think I'm a dominant personality, but I'm, I'm not a domineering personality or a dominant personality. In my relationships with people, I would tend to say I'm a, now you have to ask other people to get their opinion on that, but that I'm a more of a softer or a, you know, just try to, try, in any way, try to be an, a more easy personality. And so for me, I, I would do better with a mentor who kind of had that. They had a certain ease about them. They had a little softness to them. They didn't have all the answers. They had a humble spirit. And the Apostle Paul had a humble spirit. Now, if anyone had reason to be a proud person, it would have been the Apostle Paul. I mean, here's a man who wrote Many letters in the New Testament started churches all over the known world of that time. He had, he had a vision of Jesus on the Damascus Road. I mean, Paul had a lot of reasons to have pride. He was a, a, a Jew who had been raised devout Jude, in devout Judaism. He was a Pharisee. I mean, he had grown up in what we would call a very religious and a godly home. And yet Paul, as he's describing himself, he says this. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul viewed himself as the chief sinner. And so in Paul's relationship with Timothy, Paul was not sending off the, the, the signal to Timothy. Now, Timothy, what you need to do is you need to, to get better and, and be more like me. What, what, what Paul was saying to Timothy was what we need to do is to grow in our relationship with Christ. It is true that in one place Paul said, imitate me. But the spirit of what he was saying there is, you imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so Paul had a humility. It was Paul in Romans 7 who said, the things I want to do, those are the things I don't always do. The things I don't always do, those are the things sometimes I slip up and do. You see, in my relationships with people, it's been people like that who have that attitude that just draws me in. I'm thinking, man, this is, this is my kind of person here. And that's who we need as our mentors, a humble spirit whose life, look at the next point, whose life is devoted to knowing and serving God. That is, now they may be a painter or a plumber or a teacher or a coach. Uh, they may be a housewife. They may be retired. That, their vocation is not the important thing. The important thing is that their life is devoted to knowing God and to serving God. 
God. Those are the type of people we need to be our mentors. Who is willing to do what? Who is willing to invest his or her wisdom into your life. They're willing to listen to you. They're willing to help you. They're willing to be there for you. They don't always have all the answers. I'm drawn to people who admit they don't always have all the answers. I'm, I, repelled is too strong of a word, but I'll say it for, the, it's in hyper, in, for hyperbole's sake. I'm repelled by people who play like they do have all the answers. Because, friend, the only person who has all the answers is God. And in his sovereignty, he has chosen to withhold many of those answers from us. And so nobody has, I'm not looking for somebody who can tell me everything. Now, sometimes I need somebody to tell me something. But somebody who is willing to invest his wisdom or her wisdom into your life. And I'm saying tonight, if you are in a tough patch right now, maybe you've just moved here. You know, if you've never moved, you don't know how traumatic moving can be. But if you've moved to the Houston area, Pasadena, Deer Park, LaPorte, Clear Lake, somewhere around here from Dallas or from Tampa, Florida or from Atlanta or from Seattle or the athletic director in our school, uh, he and his family moved here a few years ago from Seattle, Washington. The new Dr. Robert White, the new leader of our school, the head of our school, he and his family moved here just a couple of years ago from up in the northwestern part of the United States. They, well, they had lived... They, Originally, they were there. Then they lived, I think, in Cyprus, and then they came here. But the point is, they came here. They didn't know anybody. Well, that's a, that's a very difficult thing. And so sometimes we need somebody who can mentor us, who can be a friend to us, who can listen to us. And I've just written in my notes, everyone needs a mentor. Now, for me, my mentors started off and still are my parents. I'm blessed to grow up in a, in a godly home. They're my first role models, and I still look to them in those ways. My dad, of course, is my pastor, my, my boss, my supervisor. I mean, I, he teaches me, if you don't like my sermons, it's his fault. He taught me how to do this. So don't be complaining to me. It, it's him. But uh, in fact, when I first started preaching in 1988, I surrendered to preach on June the 12th, I might start crying telling this, but on June the 12th, 1988, I surrendered to preach. The next morning, on June the 13th, the doorbell rang early, and I went to the door that morning and answered the door, and it was a man in our church named G.W. Gibbons. G.W. was a businessman. He and his family very faithful in the church in Sulphur Springs. He was a quiet man, but he was a good man. He had watched me grow up and play ball, and I always liked G.W., And when I opened the door, I said, G.W., good morning. What in the world are you doing here? And he said, John, he said, I believe in what you did last night in church when you came down and surrendered your life to preach. I believe in what you did last night. And he said, I just want to make a small investment into your life. He gave me a $100 bill and turned around and walked off. The first investment anybody made in me after I surrendered my life to the ministry. Just a few weeks after that, a church out, out just not far from where we lived in Sulphur Springs called and asked me to come preach one Sunday. And I did. <laughs> I had planned on telling this tonight. Isn't it funny how sometimes you go back and you think about how good God's been and it just touches your heart. That church called me to preach and I said to my dad, I said, man, I don't know how to preach. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to do this. I said, you've got to help me put a sermon together. He said, okay, let's talk about it. He said, what do you think you would like to say in the sermon? I said, I think I'd like to say I'm scared, I'm nervous. 
He said, now, what would you really like to say? And I just said, well, I don't know what to say except that, you know, I, I feel like God has called me into the ministry and I'm, ex- you know. He said, why don't you preach a sermon? I can still remember, the, <laughs> still remember the name of the sermon. He said, why don't you preach a sermon called What God is Doing in My Life? He said, that'd be good. That'd be coming out of your heart, John. He said, you'll do well in a sermon like that. I said, well, how do you, we got to have some scripture. We found, we, you know, we, talked, we, we studied, the, we found a passage. We did, he taught me how to do that. I went out there and preached my sermon. They had me back a few weeks later. I think they were giving me a second chance. And I preached for them again. They had a man in that church. They had a, a, a pastor of that church named Mike Mize. I think everybody here would be familiar with Grocer's Supply. Sometimes you see these Grocer's Supply trucks. Howard, you've seen these on the road. Well, Mike Mize worked not for Grocer's Supply, but for Grocery Supply. He had a, I think Mike might have owned part of that, but, on, but he, had, he had felt a calling into his life, on his life into the ministry. So he pastored this small country church bivocationally. He was the one, he, he was asking me out there to preach for him. And so I preached a few times, and, and finally he said to me, he said, you know, John, I have to be gone some on Sundays. You're at Baylor. By this time, I'd started Baylor. He said, why don't we co-pastor this church? He said, I'll get the church and see if they'll agree, if, they'll, if they have to vote on and uh, now this is a small country church on a, on a big day. Now that God blessed it and people got saved and it was growing, but we normally had about 75 or 80 people there. Probably the only church in the nation of that side that had a co-pastor, right? Two pastors pastoring that church. And the way that would work, there was an 11 o'clock service. And so I would listen to my dad preach. We, when I was to preach at Sulphur Bluff, he and I would work on the sermon together during the week. We preached the same sermon. Whatever he was preaching, or whatever I wanted, we just preached, and we preached it. He said, well, let's work on the sermons together. We'll outline them together. We'll talk about illustrations together. We'll do it all together. And you can come and hear me preach it at 8.30 at First Baptist, and then you can drive out to Sulphur Bluff and preach it for the 11 o'clock out there. And that was good. And I always said, <laughs> when I tell that story, I said, you know, I went and heard my dad preach that sermon at 8.30, and on my ride to Sulphur Bluff, I straightened that sermon out and got it really good. <laughs> But it was a sweet time in my life, and there were men in that congregation, and there were women in that congregation who just took me in and who became my mentors, very much like happened in Pasadena when I came here and was so young. And so I'm saying that the mentor doesn't have to be a pastor or a, it, it, just somebody who loves you and cares about you and that can help you and listen to you and put you on the right path. In mine, my parents, my, I've had many pastors who have been that for me. Professors in college and seminary have been that for me. Coaches. Some of my earliest mentors were my football coaches in high school. They really were. Teachers. And uh, we all need that. Now, as I was thinking about this today, I, I made an interesting observation on my own life. You may disagree with this, but I, I, I think there's truth in what I'm saying. For me, I would say 80 to 90% of my mentors are people I have known personally. You say, no, wait a second. They have to all be people you've known personally. Well, then you think about that. Because I would have said the same thing. I would have thought, you can't have a mentor you don't know. But in the day in which we live, we have books, we have tapes, 
We have television. I would say that 10 to 20% of the mentors in my life are people I've never met. You say, well, give me an example of that. Okay, I will. One of my mentors is the Apostle Paul. I've never met Paul. But Paul's writings have had a profound influence on my life. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great English preacher. I've never met Spurgeon. He had a tremendous influence on my life. I, met, I, I, I mentioned Adrian Rogers some in my preaching. I don't think I ever met Dr. Rogers. He and my dad were friends. If I met him, I was so young, I don't remember meeting him. In October of 2005, I flew from Houston by myself to Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, rented a car, drove to Naples, went to a one-day preaching conference at the First Baptist Church in Naples, Florida that Adrian Rogers was leading. About 300 young preachers were at this conference. I got there early. I wanted to get a table on the front row, and I did because I was hoping some of that anointing would flow off onto me. And I heard him teach and preach all day and was blessed incredibly, and I wanted to meet him after the service was over, after the program was over, but the minister that I had ridden to, to the church, needed to get back, and so I didn't get to meet. But Adrian Rogers has had a profound influence on my life. He's, he is one of my mentors. He and I didn't go eat together. We're not friends. We're not contemporaries. He's my elder. We're not equal. I mean, we're equal in God's eyes, but I mean, we're not peers like that. But he's a tremendous mentor. In fact, as you know, all those years when I struggled with my salvation, Lots of people helped me through that. But one of the ones who helped me through that was Adrian. And the reason he could help me through that is in one of his sermons, he shared about how he had doubted his salvation. And when he was sharing that, it was my exact story. And he told me how he got out of that. And that's largely what God used to get me out of that. So what I'm saying is, you may be here tonight from Tampa or some other, you don't know anybody here. Well, we're going to talk in a moment about how you can get a mentor, but you know what might be good tonight? Just say, God, I don't even know who could be my mentor, but I've got my Bible. There's good preaching on television. There's good preaching on the radio. There are good books that have been written. I'm going to just have to begin with a mentor I don't even know and pray that at the right time you would bring somebody into my life. But the point there is everyone needs a Paul. You still with me? Say amen. Second point, everyone needs a Timothy. You see, when we have a Paul, what do we have? We have somebody who is pouring into us their wisdom, their life experience, their perspective on something. We may have a blind spot, and they see it differently, and that's what we need to hear. But when we have a Timothy, what are we doing? We now are passing on to someone else what we have learned, and we need that. Now, you see some characteristics I've given of a Timothy because... I think it would be a wonderful thing in our church if, if we could somehow figure out a way for everybody to have a Paul and everybody to have a Timothy. I think it would be a tremendous thing in our church, for example, when a couple is married. Now, we do this some, but it could be better. When a young couple is married, if we could assign them to a couple that's been married for 25 or 30 or 50 or 60 years, and that couple who's been married a long time could kind of function as their, as their spiritual mentors, kind of like, like Paul did for Timothy. Everyone needs a Timothy. But now let me say this about that. You're, you're here tonight and you're, you say, well, I, I've got mentors, but I need to pour my life. I need to, to give it back. I need to be a blessing to somebody else. Listen to me. Just because somebody is younger than you, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be your Timothy. That's just, just like, just because somebody's older than you, they don't necessarily need to be your Paul. 
You see, Paul and Timothy had a very special and and unique relationship. God had orchestrated that. It's not just Paul going out looking for somebody. They had this relationship. Now, I've I've mentioned some things here, and I've put in some Bible verses, and I'm not going to look all the verses up, but let's just talk about some qualities that Timothy had. First of all, everyone needs a Timothy who is like-minded. Now, go back in Philippians chapter 2 and look in verse number 20. Because as Paul is talking about Timothy, he said, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. That is, no one except Timothy. Timothy was like-minded. So as you think about who could I mentor, who could be my Timothy, well, they need to be like-minded. That word like-minded literally means, I read this today in a Bible commentary by John MacArthur, that it literally means one-souled. S-O-U-L-E-D, one soul. Sometimes we translate that a kindred spirit. Listen to this. One in thought, one in feeling, and one in spirit. So if you're going to mentor somebody, you need to see something in that person that you sense this kindred spirit in, not just because they're younger than you. You want that person to be sincere and compassionate. And if we looked all those phrases up, we've already read that. But Paul, is this is how he's describing Timothy. You need someone who has no selfish ambition or agenda. No selfish ambition or agenda. A lot of times in the Paul-Timothy relationship, I've seen this a lot in my life in church life, where you have, for example, in a church, maybe you have a, uh, an older minister, and he's Paul, and a younger minister, and that person is Timothy. And so this older minister is pouring in to Timothy. And at, at a point, Timothy here gets to thinking he knows more than Paul. And so he wants to be Paul. And I've seen this in a lot of churches where uh, it, it just is a horrible situation. And so what I'm saying is, as you're looking for your Timothy, you would want somebody who has no selfish ambition or no agenda of their own. Like me personally, I would have no interest mentoring, and I've mentored a lot of people in my life because I was a youth minister here and because I've just been blessed to know not only older people but younger people. But I must be honest, I would have zero interest mentoring anybody that I thought had selfish ambition or some agenda that they wanted to know. I I would not be attracted to that. I, I wouldn't be rude to them. I would love them. I would help them, but I would not want to be in that type of relationship. It wouldn't work. And Paul and Timothy, they did not have that conflict. They were of kindred spirit. Now watch this. Who has character? Paul described Timothy. He said he has proven character. Well, that's what you're pouring into somebody. You're wanting to help somebody to go with God. And even if they don't have proven character, if they have a desire for character. Now, Paul, we're talking about ministry here. So Paul needed somebody who had proven character. But it's not always maybe exactly like this. But you at least want somebody who is wanting to, wanting to do right, who is humble. And uh, not, just like you would want a humble mentor, you would want a humble mentee. You would want a humble Timothy that, so you wouldn't have any of that conflict because I, feel, I, I think that person would be difficult. The third thing I would say is everyone needs an Epaphroditus. We all need a Paul. We all need a Timothy. We all need a mentor, and we all need somebody we can pour into, just like the illustration I've shown you in the past about the, uh, the Dead Sea. The reason it's dead is it receives from the Jordan River, but it doesn't have an outlet, so the water goes in there and dies. Well, we want to be like the, 
the Jordan River. That we, or, that, that, or we want to be like the Sea of Galilee. We receive from the Jordan River, but we have an outlet back into the Jordan and then down to the Dead Sea. So everyone needs an Epaphroditus. Now again, look in chapter, you're in chapter 2 still. Look in verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now, before we get into his description here, the question is, who is this fellow? Who is Epaphroditus? Well, we don't know much about him, but what we do know, in fact, if you'll turn to chapter 4 in Philippians, I'll show you the other thing we know. Epaphroditus was from Philippi. He was from Philippi, and he had been sent by the church in Philippi all the way to Rome, where Paul was when he wrote Philippians. Paul was in a Roman jail. And Epaphroditus is taking Paul a gift. Look at, what, look at how he says it here, 418. Indeed, I have all, Paul said, and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so Epaphroditus had made this long trip from Philippi to Rome. And now in chapter 2... What is he doing? He's sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi. On the trip from Philippi to Rome, or at some point along the way, Epaphroditus got sick. And he got so sick that he nearly died. But God spared his life, and now he's gained his strength back, and Paul is sending him home. But we all need an Epaphroditus. Now, who is this? This is a partner in ministry. If we want to expound that and expand that, we could say a partner in life and ministry. If you have a partner in ministry, that's great. If you have a partner in life and ministry, it's tremendous. Now, notice the things I've said about Epaphroditus. First of all, he was a fellow believer. Back in verse 25, Paul says, Epaphroditus, my brother. So we need somebody in our life, a fellow believer, who can partner with us in the ministry. And then we need a, uh, a partner in ministry. Notice how he describes this. Not only my brother, but fellow worker. Now, those of you who are married, you have a tremendous blessing in that spouse. Ho- hopefully, you do. If, if you're partnered, you know, equally yoked and kindred spirit and moving in the same direction, because you have in that spouse a partner not only in life, but a partner in ministry. I mentioned last Wednesday night that my dad and I were in Brownwood at Howard Payne University, and it was a great experience. Well, while we were there, we, of course, met the president of the school, and we had dinner with him on the night before I spoke at chapel. And there was a group of us there for the dinner, and he introduced, we met him. He's a super, super nice man. And the first thing he said was, he said, I'm sorry my wife can't be here tonight. He said, she is leading a group of girls from our campus in a Bible study. They have a Bible study every Tuesday night. And so she can't be at this meal because she's leading those girls. But she'll be at chapel in the morning, and she's looking forward to meeting you. And so the next morning at chapel, sure enough, there she was, bubbling with personality, sweet as she could be. She said, I'm so sorry I missed dinner last night. She said, I was leading a girl's Bible study. My dad said to her, well, how many did you have in the girl's Bible study? We thought maybe she had 10 or 12 or 15. She said, well, last night we had over 200 girls in the Bible study, 200, and she's telling us about that. After the sermon was over, we had lunch with them, and uh, I'll tell you what, in our next life, we should all be a seminary president. All they do is eat, 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 eat. (laughs) Not really, but uh, 
we were having lunch, and she said to me, she said, John, that sermon you preached today on doubt and worry and anxiety and fear and how if we'll trust God, we can rise above it. She said, God's timing is so amazing. She said, last night, that's what I was teaching the girls about in our Bible study. We were talking about anxiety because so many of them are struggling with anxiety. And she said, I tried to say last night the same thing you said today, that we can trust God and he'll lift us above. But I just watched that girl, the, and, and, and she interacted with her husband as she interacted with us. And I thought, you know, I believe that girl, young, not a, I mean, she's that young lady, I believe she would follow her husband to anywhere he went. I mean, they're, they're, they're partners in ministry. And that's one of the ways he described her. He said, she is my partner in the ministry. And he, I say amen to that. And so that's what Paul had in Epaphroditus. He had a partner. He had somebody he could trust and somebody that he could work with. And not only that, a fellow soldier in the battle. Now, hey, life in ministry and being a Christian is wonderful. And it's a great opportunity to do a lot of good. But folks, I want to tell you this. It's a battle. It is a spiritual battle. And Satan is our enemy, and he does everything he can to impede us from making progress in this. And so, yes, we need a, 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 a fellow believer, and we need a fellow worker, a partner. But we need a fellow soldier. Look how he described this. And fellow soldier, somebody who in the heat of the battle will be there with you. And that's what Paul had in Epaphroditus. A person like that is irreplaceable. And then we just need somebody to be a helper for us. Notice what Paul said at the end of the verse. He said, Epaphroditus, was your, he is your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. That is, he was my helper. He has brought me all this, this beautiful gift that you have sent. And then this person needs to be a selfless person. Look again in verse 26. Since he was longing for you all, in other words, Epaphroditus wants to go back to Philippi, and was distressed, now watch this, because you had heard that he was sick. Now, most of the time when a person is sick, the only thing that they're distressed about is that they're sick. There are exceptions to that, but most of the time when a person is sick, they're not distressed because somebody else heard they were sick. They're just worried about the fact. But this Epaphroditus was the opposite. He, he was sick, but what bothered him was his sickness was causing the people back in Philippi to miss him and to worry for him, and that, that made him sad. This is the type of partner Paul had, a selfless person. And then a person who has experienced the mercy of God and who serves God out of gratitude for that mercy. Look again in verse 27. For indeed, Epaphroditus was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So when Epaphroditus got sick, he would have died had God not spared his life. You know, one thing that will help you in life is you go through hard times and you say, man, I'm facing something now that I wish I weren't facing. This is really hard. This is really painful. This is really awful. Remember this, and I don't say this to be even funny or cute here. I am always trying to be funny and cute, but I'm not trying to be funny and cute on this one. Remember this. If you had died, you wouldn't be facing that problem. And so the fact that you're facing that problem means you're still alive. 
Sometimes I think about that. I think, you know, had God not had mercy on me, I would already have died. But he had mercy on me. And so, yes, sometimes in life we have challenges, but at least we're, folks, at least we're still alive to face the challenges. Amen? And that's, that was Epaphroditus. He nearly died, but God had mercy on him. And it was out of his gratitude for that mercy that he served God. Now, you say, John, this is good, Tony. I, I never thought about all this. I do need a Paul to mentor me. I do need a Timothy who I can pour into. I was talking, you know, we're doing this spiritual encouragers thing that my dad started. Trying to get all these new Christians connected with mature believers. And it's, 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 been, a, it's been a slow go. It's been a challenge, but it's really starting to pick up speed. A few weeks ago, I was in the family room, and a guy came in there. He said, listen, I've already made my decision for the Lord. I've already joined the church. He said, I just wanted to meet you. And uh, tell you who I am. And he said, they have assigned me to a man named Reed Langford. Reed Langford is my spiritual encourager. And we've been meeting. And he said, I have been so blessed getting to know him and going through the literature that we're going through. We're meeting every week or however often they're meeting. And he said, it's really been a blessing to me. And I'm finding my place at First Baptist. Last Sunday morning, I came in in this room for the service. I looked up in the choir, and that man is singing in the choir last Sunday. I thought, now this is how it's supposed to be. So everybody needs a Paul. Everybody needs a Timothy. And everybody needs an Epaphroditus. Now the question is, how do I get these people? I mean, how do I get, how do I get a, somebody to mentor me and somebody to partner with me and be my ministry? Well, I want to just read it to you like I wrote it down, so I'll say it straight. You don't go out and find all of this. I have never sought out a mentor, and I don't even ever think I've sought out somebody to mentor, and I don't think I've ever sought out anybody to be my partner in ministry. That, that may not be, I don't, I don't think I have. I know I've never sought out the others. You don't go out and find all this. Listen, you pursue God, and he brings these people into your life. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you say tonight, John, I'm lonely. I'm at a crossroads. Maybe a relationship problem, a health problem, a job problem, a money problem. You say, man, an addiction problem, a depression problem, an anxiety problem, a loneliness problem. It could be all manner of... You say, I need a Paul. I need a mentor. Where are these people? Well, we're trying to help with this encouragement program. But I'm telling you what you could do tonight would be to go home and get alone with God and say, God, I'm asking you to bring somebody into my life who could be my mentor. God, bring somebody into my life who I could mentor. God, bring somebody along who could be my trusted, loyal companion, my my partner in ministry who will be there for me in the good times and the bad. That's what I need. Listen, friend, your greatest need is not for a mentor It's not for someone to mentor, and it's not for a partner in ministry. Your greatest need is for a Savior. What you need most, and what I need most, and who we need most is not Paul or Timothy or Epaphroditus. Who we need most is Jesus. And I'll tell you one thing, the best mentor you could ever have is Jesus. What did he say in Matthew chapter 11? He said, learn from me. 
Learn from me. Jesus is, Jesus is my ultimate mentor. My burden is easy, he said, and, and my yoke is light. And I encourage you tonight, as we leave here in a moment, spend some time thinking about this and make this a matter of prayer. And in the meantime, while you're waiting on all these people to come into your life in just the right way and for you to be this to somebody else, you just ask God to order your steps. What does it say in the Scripture? The steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. God will supernaturally bring those people into your life who can bless you, whom you can bless, and with whom you can partner together and serve God more effectively. Amen? Two are better than one. Father, I thank you tonight for old Paul there in prison when he could have been feeling sorry for himself, but that was not Paul. He's mentoring these Christians back in Philippi. He's mentoring Timothy. And tonight, through the written word, he's still mentoring us. I thank you for his humility and for his spirit. God, I thank you for young Timothy. We can identify with him the fears that he struggled with and the anxieties. And sometimes he even had stomach problems because he worried so much. And yet, God, you turned Timothy into a, to a real man of faith. I thank you for his humble heart, for his willingness to submit to Paul. No agenda of his own, no selfish ambition, just wanting to learn from old Paul. God, I thank you tonight for Epaphroditus, that warrior in the battle, that partner in the ministry, that man who, whose life you spared and who said, since God has spared my life, I will continue to serve God with even more zeal than I had before. God, help us to be a Paul to somebody. Help us to be a Timothy to somebody. And help us to be an Epaphroditus to somebody. But in the meantime, help us to learn from you how to be a better Christian and how to be a better servant of the Most High God. With your head bowed and eyes closed, would you ask God to bring the people into your life that you need? Would you ask God that, to help you to have your eyes wide open so that you could be a blessing to somebody out there? With your head bowed and eyes closed tonight, if you're not saved, as I said a moment ago, your greatest need is a Savior. What you need most and who you need most is Jesus. Begin there. Begin with Him. Pray this prayer now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it, Jesus. I trust you to be my Savior, my teacher, my mentor and tonight by faith I become your child I become your disciple I become your follower now say this to Jesus thank you Jesus that I'm a Christian help me to be a good one help me to be a good one in Jesus' name, 
And all the people said, Amen and Amen.